Hello, my friends. My name is Cheryl Spangler and welcome to Life in Northern Virginia. What does Virginia have to offer me? That is the question. And this podcast will give you the answer. Today, I hope to enlighten you and give you some tools when you need it, when you need it most. When today's topic is scammed by local business. If you are scammed by a local business. Now, let me just say there's a lot of crypto scams going on. There's a lot of online scams. There's a lot of phone call scams, text scams. You know, people get into your email scams, all these things where you click links. But what about the local business? What about people who hire local businesses and they get scammed? No one really talks about that. We're going to talk about that right now. We're going to talk about the red flags. They kind of all fall around being ghosted, but it happens so gradually. It happens in a weird way that sometimes you're like, you're not sure, or give them the benefit of the doubt, another chance, another chance. So the, I feel like the top four red flags on whether you are currently being scammed by a local business. Now, this pertains to here in Virginia, but it could be any state could be any state. And that would be being ghosted by a professional. You have hired someone locally. I mean, it could be anything. It could be a tax attorney. It could be a realtor. It could be a title company. It could be a lawyer. It could be any profession. It could be any service company, any product company. You hired them. Well, product company, you would just buy the product. You hired them to do something for you and you're being ghosted. But the problem is that these ghosting methods happen so weird that you sometimes don't realize what's happening and you're like, what do I do? I'm going to give you a lot of options on what to do, where to go, and how to file a complaint and how to get your money back or fight against paying someone money or just basically making sure no one else has to go through what you went through. And if, if you hear this and listen to this podcast and you're like, well, I'm not being scammed by anyone locally. Of course, I would only hire the best people. I always go by referral. I always go through reviews. I, I'm a part of a great networking group. All my friends recommend this person. Doesn't matter. I don't care how good the person is. I don't care who recommended them. I don't care where you got their information. There's still a possibility that they could scam you. You just don't know. Now, this doesn't mean they're making a business out of scamming people, but there's still an opportunity that someone could scam you. So let's just assume that one day you might need a reference back to this podcast. And so all the things I talk about are in the going to be in the link in the description of this podcast. And the title of it is called Scammed by a Local Business. So the red flags are that you're being ghosted. And so what does it mean to be ghosted by a professional? It means that you get these weird responses like you're they're never there when you go there physically. They never call back when you call them. They respond that they haven't gotten the documents you sent them. They always have a receptionist that fields the phone calls or fields a personal visit. The person's never there. They're on vacation. They're miraculously always on vacation or somehow when you need them, they're on vacation or when the project is due or when whatever you, whatever you paid for them to do for you, 
they, there's sometimes there's deadlines on these things you pay for them to do, and they don't meet the deadline because they're on vacation. I mean, you give them the benefit of the doubt. You say, well, they have a life too, and they have a family. I'm not the only client. There's other clients. They tell you you're not the only client. They, they do not give, here's another red flag. They do not give an accounting of what they've done for you so far, the hours spent on that, and how much they have earned how much you would end up having to pay them. You may have hired someone who charges an hourly rate or a flat rate or a pay-as-you-go rate. Either way, you always, always need an accounting of the hours spent, what they did, and what the cost is, I would say, on a weekly basis. If you're not getting something on a weekly basis, worst two-week basis, you need to demand an accounting of the hours and time that you are paying for. And if not, then you immediately, immediately disassociate, withdraw your agreement, and you go somewhere who someone's going to be very, very professional and offer a service where they can account for the time that they've spent and how much that they are spending on that time. They're never there and they never call back and you never get an email response. But you can reach them, meaning you can get their voicemail, you can get the receptionist, you can get the partner, you can get everyone but this person. Does this mean this is a non-existent person? No, you met them. You probably originally met them, signed some document, started a service. You probably originally called them on the phone. But the point is there's a, there's a, a lot of ways someone can ghost you. And sometimes it's just by always being too busy. And that is a form of negligent, not performing their fiduciary duty, and they are scamming you. So just be aware. Ghosting, weird responses, no response, no accounting of their work done, never there, no callback, no email back, nothing. And sometimes you get something small. So you give them this, this like they train you just in the very beginning. Like the minute you sign an agreement, all of a sudden they're not available because they're busy because you hired someone so good that they're so busy. That's a good thing, right? If they weren't busy and you're their only client, you would worry. No, doesn't matter how many clients they have. They need to account for their time. They need to respond to you. A real professional will respond to you. And if you feel that you're not getting the response you need and you inquire and inquire through email, through text, through, through uh, phone calls, through letters, Send them a letter officially if they didn't get something. And if they, you send them something and they always say they never got it, they're in the process of scamming you in some way. And so the question is, this could be so many different kinds of people, so many different kinds of businesses. I'm going to give you a variety of ways that you, can, that you can file a complaint, that you can figure out what's going on with them. I feel like I'm probably OCD on digging stuff up about people. Why? Because I've been scammed. Or why? Because a family member, a friend, a good, a good client of mine has been scammed in all kinds of ways that you don't think of this as a scam. You think of it as bad service. Well, guess what? Bad service is scamming. So where do you go to file a complaint or look this person up? Like there's a point sometimes that you are dealing with someone and you're thinking, what is up with this person? I have got to figure, I, I got to figure out what's going on with this person. So you just like, you're at a loss. Well, you start by identifying the answer to this question. Who are they professionally and who holds them accountable? As a consumer, 
as a human, as someone who pays taxes, you have rights. You have rights with the IRS, even when you're not paying taxes. You have rights. And I think people forget, we have rights. And what are those rights? That would be the second question. Who is the person that is, for some reason, making you want to listen to this podcast? What, who holds them accountable? So let's just go through a couple. There are a few different websites that you can go to based on who the person is and who holds them accountable. So you have to literally just think about this for a minute. Is this an attorney? Well, an attorney does not hold a license per se. So you cannot file a complaint at, let's say, the DPOR. You might be working with an attorney to help you with something. And somewhere along the way, they're either not doing their fiduciary duty, they're mistreating you, they're not treating you fairly or equally, or they're lying to you, or they're ignoring and ghosting you, and you have a right to file a complaint. This is just one example. But sometimes it's confusing, like, where do you do that? Well, an attorney does not hold a license, so you're not going to file a complaint with the DPOR, which in Virginia is it's the De- Department of Professional and Occupational Regulation, right? DPOR.virginia.gov. Because those are for people like blue collar uh, and some white collar professionals who hold licenses, realtor, contractors. So if you had, let's say, wanted to file a complaint against an attorney, they would not be someone that you could go just put their name in and pull up a license at DPOR. You would have to file a complaint with the VBA, which is the Virginia Bar Association. And so you would have to go to that website, which I will reference in the description of this podcast. And it's fairly easy. Almost everything I'm mentioning, you can do an online complaint. Now, will they always respond with a positive way? It depends on how you write it. It depends on your wording. It depends on what's the violation that they've done. Make sure you look up and ask yourself, what is the violation? Are they doing something illegal? Or are they just simply violating their ethical uh, duty? So if it's an attorney, it would be the Virginia Bar Association. If it's a CPA, it would be the Certified Public Accountant Board. If it is, um, sometimes you don't know who to go to. So you say, well, first, why don't we find out if this person has a legit business. So you go to the SCC, which is the State Corporation Commission of Virginia, and you can create a free account. Or without an account, you can search business entity names. And if this person has on their website a business name, an LLC, an S-Corp, an Incorporated, an INC, whatever, what they're calling their business other than their name, You can go to the State Corporation Commission and you can search entity names and you can find out who is this LLC active. This is just one of many steps for you to begin the process of figuring out who is this person? What is this business? Is this a legit business? Is this a business that is registered in the state of Virginia to do business? Therefore, if it's not a legit business and you can confirm it in all ways, maybe you don't have to pay them for this service they have not provided. So you want to go to the State Corporation Commission and look up their LLC. And you might find that it is inactive. Not active, but inactive. That means they have not paid their $100 per year um, filing dues to maintain that LLC in active and good standing. Therefore, they're probably not paying taxes on that LLC. And so that business is not really valid in Virginia to do business. 
And the second thing after doing that is you could go to the local county where that business is located and find out if they actually have a business license. You would do that by going to the clerk of court of whatever county or city they claim that they are in. Again, based on their website, there is an address. Most companies do have an email, a phone number, an address of some kind, and that will tell you what county in the state of Virginia they reside and they do business. You can go to that county clerk's office, ask, does this business have an active license to do business in this county? All you're doing is your due diligence, okay? You have to do your own research. You have to know your rights before you can complain. And so... What if there is a bank that you want to complain about? What if somehow, some way, a bank has lost your money? What do you do if you go to complain to a bank about some lost incoming transaction money, lost incoming ACH, lost incoming wire transfer? Somehow they have no idea where it is, but you have some kind of trace number that shows it did come in. There are things you can do. As a consumer, you have rights. The rights on a bank is that you can actually go submit a complaint to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which is CFPB. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau allows you to submit a complaint online about an institution or bank or really any company, any company actually, credit card company, bank, um, And you have to have some kind of documentation or explanation of what's happening. So my first thing is, if you feel that you're being scammed, if you feel that you're being mistreated, or you're not treated fairly, or somehow a local business is not holding their end of the bargain, first thing to do is to sit down and write a timeline of exactly when you contacted them and what happened that made you think that they are not upholding their business professional, you know, ethical allegiance to you as a consumer. Okay. Create a timeline. This timeline will then be copied and pasted for wherever you're going to do a complaint. You should also mention names, first name, last name, address, phone number, business entity name, if it's listed on the website and reference the real stuff here. Don't just casually say, you know, I inquired with this guy and you're not naming the first and last name the actual accolades behind his his or her name, the business, the address, the phone number, like the website address. Like get serious here. You're identifying them as if no one has heard of this person before. So you need to identify all this information. Why am I sharing all this with you? Because there's too many people out there getting scammed by people online and offline, but no one really talks about the offline people. No one really talks about the offline businesses. So let's just back to our comment. You feel and you're trying to figure out how to complain against a bank, okay? And the reason I use a bank as an example is because banks seem to hold this authority that consumers feel that they have nothing, the no way to combat. The authority is they hold your money. Well, they're taking your money and going and investing in things. So they're holding your money so they have this authority over you, but you have rights there too. So you can complain against the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And let's just say you do that, but also you want more, right? What happens when your money doesn't end up in your account and it legit came in through wire ACH or any method, but the bank doesn't know where it is. You have a trace number of it coming in and they're just not moving fast enough 
you can actually go to the FDIC.gov. You can go to the FDIC.gov because it is there to insure the money that is yours, up to $250,000 per person. And FDIC is the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation that hopefully the bank that you're banking with is FDIC insured. What does that even mean? I don't think people realize what FDIC insured means. Everyone just uses it. All these banks just say we're FDIC insured. Okay, when they're FDIC insured, that means that if they lose your money, the insurance will give you your money while they figure out where your money is. They will ensure that no matter what, the money will get credited to your account while they figure out their mistake. And the fastest way to get a bank to figure out their mistake is by filing a complaint with the FDIC yourself. You go to FDIC.gov and you submit a complaint and it has to be a valid bank. And you'll know if you're working with some scam sham bank because you won't be able to find it in the list. And uh, you won't be able to file a complaint uh, at the FDIC to anyone or any other kind of professional other than a bank. Okay, so it has to be a regulated bank institution. And there's a directory online of all regulated banks. And so if yours is not on that list, it's not FDIC insured or it's not a legit bank in general. Um, and then you, you do the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau as well. And let me tell you that the minute you file an FDIC complaint and the minute you do an FCPB complaint, you immediately get a case number. Within 48 hours, two things happen. The FBI is informed of this complaint because they always are, regardless of whether the FDIC takes and responds and, and resolves your case or not, they are informed. And this is how the FBI begins years and years of investigations on financial institutions, crypto institutions, like, yes, all this is going on crypto, but this is not a crypto podcast. This is actually the opposite. This is a local business podcast uh, because this is a missing topic. So the minute you file a complaint, two things happen. You get a case number, okay, immediately, and emailed, and the FBI within 48 hours is informed of your case, regardless of whether it is resolved through the FDIC, because this is how they become aware of what's going on and then they just kind of look into it or they don't look into it. Maybe they, they put a little flag on that bank and then if someone else does a complaint, which you should, so that everyone, including institutions, are held accountable, then they'll just get another complaint and then they'll really start adding up these red flags and they'll start really investigating. So that is what happens if you are missing money you can take control of your situation. You always can take control of your situation. And you would go out to the FP, uh, the CFPC, and you would go out to the FDIC, and you'd file two different complaints, okay? Uh, because the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, you have the ability to file against other things. The FDIC has to be an institution. And... So what if they don't fit in any of these categories? There's no professional board, which, you know, most of the, most people who hold a license, inspectors, I mean, like, literally there's like a hundred different kinds of licenses to do any kind of business, physical therapy, um, stuff like I, anything. It's at the DPOR. Something to know about DPOR, uh, which is the Department of Pro Professional Occupation, is that if someone does hold a license to do business in Virginia and you want to file a complaint, you have to be a consumer. You cannot file a complaint at DPOR professional to professional. It has to be a consumer 
who experienced something negative uh, and a professional on the other end. You are filing a complaint as the person who had the problem. You're not a professional to professional. It is only for consumer to professional complaining. And this is pretty much the same like everywhere. And so if you go through and they don't have a license anywhere, you say, well, okay, well, what, what kind of profession are they? And who holds them accountable? Because there's always some other group that holds a professional accountable. Whether you know it or not, there is. And if you can't find them in DPOR, that type of business, then you say, okay, they're an, an attorney. You go to the law board. If they're a CPA, you go to the CPA board. But what if they're none of those and they're actually not licensed at all and they claimed to be and you got scammed? Then your option, which I didn't mention. Okay, let me just finish that. Then your option is to actually go to the Office of Attorney General. The Virginia Attorney General is where you file a complaint if you just don't know, right? It's an online form as well. And you can go file that complaint. So if all else fails, you would file a complaint with the Virginia Attorney General. And they may not respond to you, but that's okay. You have a log of that complaint being filed, and you also can print it immediately when you go to file it, so you have a PDF version of it. And here are the things that you need when you file the, these complaints, no matter where you're doing it. And this goes to no matter what state you're in, but this is focused on Virginia. You need the document that you originally signed giving the professional the right to serve you. So you, you want the document or documents that you signed. If it's a realtor, you need the listing agreement. If it's a lawyer, you need the agreement to do service. If it's a CPA, you need the document to do service. If, if it's someone who has power of attorney over you to help you with IRS audits, you need the document that they had you sign to provide service. If it's um, a physical therapist, you know, you're not really signing an agreement per se. Um, but they still are held accountable at the DPOR. So you need whatever document it is that you signed that says, I pay you and you do this service. And if you don't have it, you still have rights. You just simply need to write a handwritten, uh, not handwritten, you need to write a letter, okay, type it, and say your name, the date you uh, uh, initiated service, you know, all their information, and what they were supposed to do for you. And then you put your name and you sign it and you date it. So you can just do that. But you can also do things like look them up on the Dun & Bradstreet website, which is D, the word and, the letter B, dot com. D and B dot com. Dun & Bradstreet is essentially the business credit. So like we have the credit scores at Experian and Equifax and TransUnion the Dun & Bradstreet is the credit bureau for a business. And you can look up whether they have a, D, uh, a Dun's number. That Dun's number allows you to just find them. And then also it lists their address, their phone number, and maybe an email address for them. It's just a way for you to validate, do they have a Dun's number? Okay, are they a legit business? Legit businesses have Dun's numbers. Legit businesses build credit. Legit businesses get credit cards. All of this is required to have a Dun's number so you can build credit. The point is to find them and a verify address of where you're actually showing up at their business. And they, you also can file a complaint with Dun & Bradstreet and it will be a negative mark on their credit, okay? 
And not last, but another thing is to go to the BBB.org, which is the Better Business Bureau. And the Better Business Bureau is where people initially think to go to, but I told you all these other ways and other methods. And don't just do one of these. If you have a problem, you do all of them. You find the professional organization, you file a complaint. You go to the State Corporation Commission, you file a complaint if they don't have a valid LLC. If it's a bank, you go to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau or the FDIC. If it's CPA, you do the board. If it's a law, you do the board. If it's a other professional has a license, you do DPOR. And you go to the DNB. And you go to the BBB.org, which is the Better Business Bureau. File a complaint. And lastly, lastly, and this is normally the only thing people ever do, what I'm about to say. This last thing is normally the only thing people do. And I'm saying do it last. And that is... You do a bad Google review. You do a bad Yelp review. Sure, they're going to discourage other people who see it. But also, there's all there's always like a, I don't know, like a 5 to 10% of all reviews, there's always some bad one. So you always sometimes say, well, they probably had a bad experience and discount it. So you can do that, Yelp and Google. But I recommend going the other route first. And lastly, yes, do a Google bad review, do a Yelp bad review. I'm not proponent for going out and spreading bad vibes here. I'm not a proponent for going out and spreading bad juju, right? What you put out comes back. What I'm saying is, yeah, what you put out comes back. If you're being mistreated, treated unfairly, misrepresented, no fiduciary duty being given to you, or you're simply being ghosted and scammed for your money by a local business, you have to fight back. And to know where to go, I think it's confusing. It's very confusing. And hopefully some of these things I mentioned will help you figure out what to do if you or a family member or a friend or a client are going through this. Because there's always an answer. A professional who offers a service is always held accountable by someone higher and there you always have rights. I hope this helped anyone who listened. And if you have anyone that you think it might help, um, you know, share this podcast with them. And if you have any questions, heck, comment, find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and send me a message. I would be glad to give any, I'm not an attorney. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm just simply someone who has experienced a lot of this, also friends, family, and clients, and I help them dig up information to help resolve. And so if you need help, let me know. Otherwise, I will talk to you guys in the next podcast.